There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you all okay? Then you're better than I am because two things have happened to me just now and I'm completely freaked out. So the first one, I went for a run. Yes, it was dark, but normally I'm absolutely fine with it. I just stopped to see how many miles I had done. Answer, not many. And something, I felt something slither over my shoe. And I don't mean slither in a, oh, I'm a nice happy frog on on this day and I'm just sliding across your shoe. I mean like something, something out of a book, (laughs) something out of a book. And when I looked down, there was nothing there. But I tell you, something slithered over my foot. So that was bad enough. And then just now I'd taken the dog for a walk and there was a spider. So I'd got it in my hand to then put it outside And it went out of my hand, down my sleeve. I yanked my coat off so quickly because I'm not one of those people. Yes, I put it in my hand to put it straight out, but that's it. But it was not in my coat. I have removed everything. I have put it back on now for you. Don't worry, even though it's a podcast, it's not an image you want. But anyway, removed everything. The spider is gone. But where has it gone? I can't find the spider that went down my sleeve. So this is the situation we find ourselves in. It's lucky we've got some brilliant books to take our minds off it, isn't it? Oh, and and big news. So I found out that this podcast, this little old podcast is ranked second, the second largest UK commercial book review podcast, second only to... The, the lord and lady of books, uh, Richard and Judy. So thank you all very much for listening to my waffle. And thank you for your supporting me and just thank you. Thank you for everything. It's not a very good acceptance speech, is it? But just one big massive thank you. I'm sitting here with a spider, who knows where, with something slithering over my shoe. But I'm very grateful for you listening to it. Anyway, let's get on, Philippa. Right, we've got some great books today. So the books that we have got, uh, we've got 1979 by Val McDermott, and we're going to be talking to Val today. We've got a graphic novel, Book Love, by Debbie Tung, 
I can't wait to tell you about that. We've got American Dirt by Jeannie Cummins. Uh, th that one's been out for a while. Um, as has the next one, Golden Hill by Francis Spufford. And the other one's been out a while, but I had to do a reread. And that's Rachel's Holiday by Marianne Keys. Because next week, we're going to be reviewing the second one that's just come out. Again, Rachel. Um by Marianne Keys, funnily enough. Who'd have thought the same author would write both the original book and the follow-on? There you go. So those are the books we're, we're looking at today. Let's get straight on. Let me move my piece of paper. Let's get straight on to 1979. Now, I read some of this and I listened to some of it as an audio book and it's delicious and delightful either way. Well, if delightful is, you know, murder and all sorts of ne'er-do-wells, um, it's a cracking book. I've got to admit to you, this is terrible. But apart from the graphic novel by Val McDermott that I read recently, this is my first Val McDermott. I've, I admit, I've been put off for two reasons. First of all, she, there are so many of her books I didn't know where to start. I didn't know which one to pick out. Um, and secondly, I always thought it was going to be too. I do. This, I'm sharing with you. Don't tell anyone else. I thought it was going to be too intellectual for me because she is such a bright, intelligent, fabulous person. I just thought, oh, I was intimidated. I think we could say, and I, I don't know why because her writing is is exceptional. And from now on, I, I need to just go back and read all her books. But anyway, let me tell you about this one. This is the start of a series as well. So this is a good one to get started with if you haven't read any of her other books. So here we are. 1979. It is the winter of discontent and reporter Ali Burns is chasing her first big scoop. There are few women in the newsroom and she needs something explosive for the boys club to take her seriously. Soon, Ali and fellow journalist Danny Sullivan are exposing the criminal underbelly of respectable Scotland. They risk making powerful enemies and Ali won't stop there. When she discovers a homegrown terrorist threat, Ali comes up with a plan to infiltrate the group and make her name. But she's a woman in a man's world and putting a foot wrong could be fatal. Right, let's do first sentences because that's what we do here. Um, oh, see, we've got a prologue and a chapter one. I'm going to do chapter one because I think this is a great first. Well, they're all great sentences, but first sentence, chapter one. Are you sitting comfortably? It started badly and only got worse. Blizzards, strikes, unburied bodies, power cuts, terrorist threats and Shawadiwadi's greatest hits topping the album charts. 1979 was a cascade of catastrophe. I mean, come on. That's a great sentence, isn't it? Um, I... As I say, I really enjoyed it. It's opened the door of the whole realm of Val McDermott books. I don't I don't know why I hadn't got them before. So let's just let's just step in and talk to Val now. So Val McDermott, whose latest book out in paperback is 1979. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is an obvious question, but I have to ask, I have to ask it. What gave you the idea for this particular book? Well, it was something that had been vaguely kicking around in the back of my head, the idea of writing a series of novels that kind of encompassed my, my working life as a writer of one sort or another. Mm. But what actually brought it into sharp focus was the thing that's been 
the sharp focus for many of us in the last couple of years, which was the the arrival of, of COVID. There we were in March 2020. I was literally coming to the end of Still Life, my previous book. I was, I was writing the last few chapters when we went into lockdown uh, and got to the end of, of that. And I thought, what can I write now? Because all of my work is, broadly speaking, set against the here and now. It has a contemporary feel. It has a, a real-world sense in, in, in terms of it references real-world things. Of course, yes. And, and I just thought, I can't write in the real world just now because the real world changes from day to day. I mean, cast your mind back to a point when we didn't have vaccines, we didn't even have tests. We just had this, this, this terrible, catastrophic disease that was killing people with no sense of, of how fast it was going or, or, or its severity at that point. And, and I thought, I just can't write against a world that's changing. There's no solid ground to stand on. But I need to be writing because otherwise I'll completely go mad. Mm. Um, and that's not a thing to do with COVID. That's just a thing to do with, with my head. Um, and I, so I thought, I, I've had this idea kicking around for a while. Let's actually do it. And uh, I thought I wanted to write a series of five novels at 10-year intervals with the same protagonist. And I thought, well, if I go back to the last year of normal life, that would take me to 2019. And counting back from that brought me to 1979. And I, I looked at uh, looked at the history of the time, if you like, briefly, and I, and I thought back to my own recollections of what I was doing and how I was living and where I was living in 1979. And I thought, you know, this is gold. Mm. There's so mm. much really interesting stuff here uh, and stuff that also has resonance for the here and now. Uh, and it's, it felt like a gift at that point. It was something I could lose myself in. And that's how it started. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that, if it was easier to escape in the past and ignore what was happening at, at the time as you were writing. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't so much about ignoring what was happening as being able to sort of step into that world while I was writing. Uh, you know, I mean, I've always been quite good at uh, cutting off at the end of the day and saying, that's it for today, now where are we up to? It was quite a structured life as well, if you remember, back in the early days of lockdown. We had an hour exercise every day. So my partner and I would go out into the streets of Edinburgh, walk around the park, uh, walk around uh, the, the cemeteries. And it was an opportunity to have an hour's intense conversation, if you like. We'd talk about what she was doing in her work. I'd talk about what I was doing. It was also an opportunity to talk about all sorts of other things that that we wanted to to discuss of what's the government doing mm. um, what we're going to do about gender all the all these kind of issues were, were rumbling around our conversations and in, in my experience these kind of conversations trigger writing writing things they trigger something in the book they might not have any apparent significance or apparent connection but somehow when i go back to my desk uh, after that kind of conversation after a walk or whatever something has shifted and I can sometimes see the way through. I mean, uh, for example, uh, I'm writing 1989 at the moment, and I was having a real struggle with with getting my timeline sorted. I couldn't make sense of it, and and I've been really struggling with it. And it's been holding me back because I've been sort of beating my head on the desk. And I went for a walk last Friday with with my friend Mary Paulson Ellis, a fellow writer. And um, the conversation we had, while not directly to do with my problem, suddenly in the middle of this conversation, I thought, I know how to do this. Wow. Uh, and I went back and sorted it over the weekend. So now I'm forging ahead, feeling much more happy and confident. That's interesting. So do you think going forward you will keep to the sort of regimented going for a walk in the day or just when the, 
it's just not flowing as much as you would like. No, we've, we've maintained the, the habit of, of going for a walk. I mean, unless it's absolutely lashing with rain and, <laughs> and uh, a gale is blowing, and I, I'll go out for a walk every day and it, and it helps the process. Uh, it really does for me. It, it's a step away from the desk and, and um, somehow, I don't know, the, the physical movement seems to shake something loose. And as I say, especially helpful if I'm with somebody just talking about all kinds of things. And I found that in, in the lockdown, once we were allowed to, to go out and exercise with other people, I started uh, making appointments, if you like, with my friends who are also either writers or journalists or, or <laughs> broadcasters. And, you know, once or twice a week, I'd go out for a walk with, with somebody else uh, and we'd just blether about all sorts of things. And that process, as I say, it seems to shake things loose from the, from the, the back of my head. Gosh, that's fascinating. So if someone were to see you walking, you know, they need to stay away because the creative <laughs> process is at work. Or else come and join me and say something interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, and in this book, we meet Ali and Danny. Uh, did they both come to you sort of together or was Ali there first? Ali was there first because uh, Ali is definitely the person who's going to be there through all five books. Hmm. Uh, so anybody else that that came into view from that point on is, is somebody who could possibly go through the whole canon or could just be in and out from one book to the next. Um, so, yeah, Ali was there from the beginning. Uh, and uh, when I started thinking about the stories and the point she's at in her career, I realised very, very quickly that this is not something she could do single-handed, that she, at this stage in her career, she's a very early, very early stage. Uh, this is her first job in a national newspaper. And so she she has a colleague in Danny who's on the news desk and they kind of form a, an, an alliance. And also another colleague, Rona, who runs the women's page, who kind of takes it under her wing. So without that kind of um, way of extending her reach, I suppose, it would have been very difficult to to write an engaging narrative where she actually did interesting things. It, and for me, I mean, I listened to some of it as an audiobook and then read some of it, and it's narrated brilliantly, I thought, by uh, by Katie. Mm. It just it added even more to it. But whether I was reading it or listening to it, it felt a very visual book. Do you see it almost as a movie in your mind as you're writing, or was that just my interpretation? No, I do see. I, I see the scene playing out before me. Um, I, I, you know, I see the background. I see the characters. I. I, I see their, their attitudes and their, their, their body language, if you like. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of plays out as a scene. But, of course, that's a very different kind of scene from what you see when something's adapted for television or film uh, because you, you can do all the establishing shots. You know, with one sweep of the camera, you can, you can do what it takes me three pages to say, for example. So although I see things very visually, I'm well aware that that does not qualify me to write scripts. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I know. I know. Okay. Believe me. Fair enough. Um, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Obviously, people need to to read the book. But there's there's a lot covered in the book. Lots of really great themes, and even ones just like fitting in and standing strong for what you believe in. Did Did you want to go back and sort of not right wrongs from the past, but were the things that you really felt compelled to address? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, when I started working in, in national newspapers, it was a very male culture. Uh, it was misogynist, it was homophobic, it was, it was sectarian, certainly in Glasgow as well. Um, and 
there were a lot of things that made it very difficult for someone like me to be doing that job. And so, yeah, I wanted to, to go back and, and shine a light on things that um, people think have changed beyond uh, recognition, but actually, in many respects, I've only just gone below the surface. I think we've, we've been discovering recently with the revelations about uh, the, 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 the Met Police and Charing Cross Police Station mm-hmm. messages, for example, that although we think we have moved forward in terms of relationships uh, about how we treat women and how we view violence against women. In fact, it hasn't gone away. A lot of it's just gone under the surface. So I think some of the things that I'm writing about are are still very much uh, things we need to address. But that's not, that's almost incidental for me. These are things that crop up along the way. For me, the heart of any book that I write is always the story. It's finding a way to tell the story. Uh, that that is is sort of burning in in my head mm-hmm. to tell, and sometimes that story uh, is 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 issue based, but more often than not, it's based in in who my characters are and what they value in their mm-hmm. world. And you often cover stories from the viewpoint of the police. Um, is it quite freeing to do it from the viewpoint of a reporter instead? Yeah, it's it's um, it's gives you different. You come at stories from a different angle sure. of approach. You have different powers, you have different legal capabilities. Um, and certainly back in 1979, I mean, now there's the, the, the marvellous access of the internet, which provides access to all kinds of things, uh, both legally and, and illegally. But back then, uh, you were living on your wits a lot more, if you like, uh, and you needed to, to have contacts in all sorts of areas. You, you always needed to have a friendly polis who would uh, uh, sometimes help you out with information that you weren't supposed to have. Uh, and that could also lead you into some problems along the way. But it, it was it is good to, to, to come at things from a different angle because it forces me as a writer to think about think of ways round the problem. You know, a write a reporter can he do this, but she can do this. Uh, and so you start off with, with with that as your basic position that, that you're you're always looking for a way around the system in a way. And when you start a new series, as this one is, is it a challenge to know how much to put in book one, you know, and how much to leave in terms of character development and, uh, well, I don't know, all different ideas for the story? Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I tried to do with 79 was, was tell us as much as we need to know to make it work, to make Ali an engaging character and someone we want to continue with. But you also, I think when you, I mean, it's a long time since I consciously started a new series. The last time I sat down and wrote a book, knowing it was going to be the first of a series, was in, in the early 1990s with Kate Brannigan. Uh, but what I learned from that experience was you have to seed things in the first and the second books that you can expand on later or, or indeed leave to one side later if you're not interested in pursuing them. But you need to put things in early on that give you possibilities down the line. Um, you know, the, the Tony Hill and Carol Jordan books and, and Karen Puri were unintentional series. I, both of those I started with what I thought was going to be a standalone and then got carried away with the possibilities. <laughs> so, uh, and the things I probably would have done slightly differently, particularly I think with Tony and Carla, would have done some, some different things at the start of, of that series uh, that, that I then had to deal with the problems created by it later on. But uh, this time I know where I've started and I know where I'm going, roughly speaking. 
so I've planted some seeds that may or may not flourish. Well, that's interesting. I feel like I need to go back and read it again to find some of, <laughs> see if I can identify some of those seeds that you've put in there that I might not have noticed. So was it quite freeing or was it more a fearful experience to start a new series? It was, there were two things really involved. I mean, I was very excited about starting the new series because of the opportunities it offers me over the span of the series to write about uh, things I've, I've, I've encountered, things that matter to me, uh, experience that I've had. I mean, because although Ali is very much not me, a lot of the anecdotage is mine. Um, but it was also terrifying, you know, sort of I'm taking on this task of writing these these five novels, a sort of bildungsroman over five books. Um, and <laughs> I was overwhelmed on many occasions by a feeling of terrible hubris. Uh, you know, this is all going to go horribly wrong and everybody's going to laugh at me. Um, you know, so it was, it was the usual imposter syndrome sort of to the max. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always convinced that uh, there's always a point that comes in the book where you think this is just awful. Nobody's going to read this. Certainly, nobody's going to love it. Not only, not even its mother could love it. Um, and and you just plow on regardless, and, and and hope you'll get there in the end. Um, and I think that's that's part of for me. It's part of the condition of of of, of writing. It's what drives me on, thinking you must do better. Uh, sort of. You know, so. That's so interesting, though, because for you, you know, you're at the sort of the top of the of the writing mountain, I would say, and you know, everyone holds you in such high regard. I, it's it's hard to comprehend that you would have those doubts that that other writers yeah, do. But I suppose the, the 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 other side of that is, you know, the view from the top is very vertiginous. <laughs> it's a long way to fall, uh, and you know, I mean, as as, as a, I'm a passionate reader, and, and, and reading over the years, you do see writers going off the boil and not apparently recognizing it and just carrying on. And I, I, I would be appalled if I thought that that was happening to me as a writer. And you know, I mean, that's why I, I entirely tr- trust my team to to tell me if 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 a book is not up to the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but because when you're that close to it yourself, I mean, you know, I've never written a book that I was happy with at the end. <laughs> wow. all, all I can see is the things that I, I haven't quite worked. And, and I just hope that my editor and I can sort that as we have our, our conversation after she's she's been through it a couple of times. So do you think if there is a book that you're really happy with, that's when you'd start really worrying? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm almost, I'm almost kind of suspicious of, of people who, who say, oh, I'm, I'm really pleased with my new book. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of want to say, well, you're not doing it right. <laughs> many, many years ago, the first time I met Ruth Rendell, I mean, I was, I was completely overawed. And I, I did the, the fangirling, you know, you're amazing. I love your books. I think you're incredible. And what do you say to Ruth Rendell after you've said that? And, and I, I said, I suppose when you've written as many as you have, it gets easier. And she looked at me with the with the withering look that that, that Ruth Rendell had, and, and 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 said, spoke to me as if I was very slow and very stupid. She said, "No, dear, it gets harder." <laughs> and I didn't entirely understand that at the time, but I understand it now. That if you are committed to to trying to make each book better than the last, or or at the very least different from what you've done before. It is harder. Those small increments become more and more difficult to achieve. But I'm just interested in the the process of writing. What your favourite part is it? Is it just when the ideas are coming and you're literally just writing the words? Some authors prefer the editing, the the 
getting it even better stage. What where where do you sit on that? For me, the there are two there are two phases really. There's the excitement before you start when you have that sense of the the shape of the story coming together and and the excitement of wanting to write it. And then it's a more sporadic moments of of excitement when you have a day where it just flows and and you read a chapter back and you think, yeah, I got it, I got that, that that really works. So there are, there are lots of sort of uh, little moments of sunshine, uh, and then you get to the end, uh, and then that's that moment of thinking, there's things I just haven't got right, and then you get your edits done. I mean, I I will say, I I totally embrace the process of of taking on board the editorial notes, but I hate doing the edits. <laughs> Just hate doing the edits, um, and 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 that that's the bit that always feels like, uh, as as my my friend Nevada Bar once said, like carving granite with a teaspoon. <laughs> uh, the bits where you know what has to be done, and finding the words or finding the 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 brain power to to figure out how to do it. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm very fortunate. I've been doing this a long time now, and I think in terms of a lot of the basic skills, I'm quite good at them. Uh, and I haven't had to do a, a structural rewrite for for more years than I can think of. But I still sit down at the rewrites and think, oh god, I hate this. But I know it has to be done, and I know that the book will be better for it, and that's what propels me through it. And with your journalism background, is it true that you could just write anywhere, wherever you are? You're used to just uh, focusing on the story. Yeah, I got pretty good at. I mean, you get you get good at writing on the hoof if you're a news journalist, which which I was for you know sixteen years. Um, you, you you don't always have the luxury of a of a quiet room and and. Uh, peace and quiet and nobody bothering you. Uh, and I'm pretty good at writing on the hoof. I, I, I can't write in cafes. Um, a lot of people I know go and write in the cafe. And for me, there's, there's too much going on. There's, there's too much distraction, too many other things to, to watch that are more interesting. <laughs> um, and, I, and I find airports and, and airplanes quite difficult as well, mostly because it's hard to get comfortable with your laptop and, and, and in, a, in a plane seat. But pretty much I, I, I write at home, I write in hotels, I write on, on a, Light on, I like writing on trains. Oh, um, trains but not planes. So, yeah, trains but not planes. Because trains, you've got a pr- proper proper seat and a proper table in front of you and the angles are, are fine and you don't have somebody blethering in your ear every 20 minutes to say, and the captain <laughs> says, we're now at 30,000 feet. <laughs> I find it too, I'm too interested in people watching. I get caught up in yeah. staring, I think. That's my problem. Yeah. Um, if you could go back to when you first started writing, n- not journalism, say, but writing your first book, and you could whisper mm. something to you, what do you think you would say? Be patient. Give yourself space. Uh, I think it's it's very easy to to get caught up in the the desire to to get the book done, to get the book published, to get out there, and it just takes time to get a book right, uh, and it takes time. To develop a career, um, you know, when I was starting out, I think it was a lot harder in many respects because uh, you, you took a slow, slow build. Now I, th- I feel for the the trends of, of the passion for the new, you know, pumping publicity mm. and money into debut novels. There's tremendous pressure to put on on young writers, writers at the beginning of their career. Um, so I think the thing is to, to be patient with yourself. Don't expect everything to happen overnight. 
Uh, and if it does happen overnight, make sure you've got a good support system around you, whether that's family mm. or friends or an agent you can trust. But because uh, it, it can be a pretty bumpy ride at times. Well, we certainly can trust you because you just keep delivering one superb book after another. Val McDermott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And so we go on to the next book I'm reviewing today. And this one is a graphic novel called Book Love by Debbie Tung. Oh, this book. I love this book so much. It is the loveliest book. And what it makes you feel is that finally, well, not finally, but it's it's okay to love books. It's okay to gather as many books to you as you want. It's okay to go to a party and just sit there wanting to read your book. Um and after reading this, my conclusion was I need to buy even more books. Um, it was it was just heavenly. So if you love books, if you know someone who loves books, I would thoroughly recommend it. It's quite a small book. How many pages is it? 137, 38 pages. It's something you would read very quickly. Um, but for any bookworm, it is utterly delightful. It's just it made me feel very happy happy with my tribe my book loving tribe happy with who I am I just I loved it loved it loved it loved it this book I don't know if I am I may lend it but then I want this book back straight away because it's it's just gorgeous really pretty illustrations simple to read easy to read and just for a bookworm it's just yeah very nice indeed 
now we come on to American Dirt by um, Janine Cummins. Now, this was one of uh, the books that was chosen for a book club. So I didn't choose it myself, but I already had it on my bookshelf. So it is one that I'd heard about and everyone raves about this book. So I bought it, but then I hadn't got started on reading it. Um, OK, let's do the blurb. For oh, I haven't done the blurb for book love, have I? Sorry, sorry. OK, let's step back. So the blurb for, for book love is this. Bookworms rejoice. These charming comics capture exactly what it feels like to be head over heels for hardcovers and paperbacks and ebooks and bookstores and libraries. <laughs> book love is a gift book of comics tailor made for tea sipping, spine sniffing, book hoarding bibliophiles. Debbie Tongue's comics are instantly recognisable, making you laugh while precisely conveying the thoughts and habits of book nerds. Um, and I normally do the first sentence, so. OK, well, let's just read you the first little bit. Books can take you to magical places. There we go. Anyway, yes, great. I think I've said enough about this one. Let's get back now to American Dirt. So this is the blurb. Lydia Perez owns a bookshop in Acapulco, in Acapulco, Philippa, and is married to a fearless journalist. Luca, their eight-year-old son, completes the family. But it only takes a bullet to rip them apart. In a city in the grip of a drug cartel, friends become enemies overnight and Lydia has no choice but to flee with Luca at her side, north for the border, whatever it takes to stay alive. The journey is dangerous, not only for them, but for those they encounter along the way. Who can be trusted? And what sacrifices is Lydia prepared to make? Let's do a first sentence. And the first sentence is... Hmm. One of the very first bullets comes in through the open window above the toilet where Luca is standing. It's a hard book to read. It's a very thought-provoking, memorable book. It's one of those that you need to read to learn more about what, what goes on. Um, it's, it's almost like a non-fiction. It's, you know, this struggle and this racing and the awfulness. It felt so real. Um, I thought it was very well written. It's a chunker of a book. I mean, how many pages? And the tiniest of tiny fonts. It's one of those. So it's 457 pages. Now, you might think, well, that's not that's not too long. Correct. But the font is just tiny. So it is one that you need to take time to soak up. I was unhappy with the ending, I've got to say. Um, I was just like, What? That wasn't the ending I expected. Um, and it's a, so it's troubling in that respect. What was the View at Book Club? The View at Book Club was, I suppose, similar. Um, some people were very happy with the ending, weren't troubled as I was. Uh, um, it got a very good score. I think it was something like 8.34, something like that. Very precise with our book club scores. Um, it, so that's a good mark. It just, oh, yeah, it's just the ending and uh, it's a bit of a stonker, but there's nothing wrong with that. So it's a good book to learn things from. Uh, crikey, if you think you got it bad, read the read that book. It's one of those. It's not one to read when you need something nice and light and fluffy. Put it like that. So that's American Dirt. Uh, now we go on to Golden Hill by Francis Spufford. Um Again, I'd seen this book. I hadn't bought it before, but I had come close to buying it before. 
Uh, let's read the blurb on this one. New York, a small town on the tip of Manhattan Island, 1746. One rainy evening, a charming and handsome young stranger fresh off the boat from England pitches up to a counting house in Golden Hill Street with a suspicious yet compelling proposition. He has an order for a £1,000 in his pocket that he wishes to cash. But can he be trusted? This is New York in its infancy, a place where a young man with a fast tongue can invent himself afresh, fall in love and find a world of trouble. Let's do this. Uh, let's find the first sentence. The Brig Henrietta, having made Sandy Hook a little before the dinner hour and having passed the Narrows about three o'clock and then crawling to and fro in a series of tacks infinitesimal enough to rival the calculus across the grey sheet of the harbour of New York until it seemed to Mr Smith, dancing from foot to foot upon the deck, that the small mound of the city waiting there would hover ahead in the November gloom in perpetuity, never growing closer to the smirk of Greek Zeno, and the day being advanced to dusk by the time Henrietta at last laid anchor off the slip with the veritable gables of the city's veritable... Well, it goes on. This is all the first sentence. Almost the whole first page is the first sentence. This was, as I say, um, this was another book club that I belong to. There's a book there. Um, it's a mixture. I enjoyed parts of the book, but I'm reading, you know, about five books a week uh, to review for you. And this isn't a book that you can rush through. This is one that you need to really immerse yourself in and just enjoy the long journey that it takes. I think if you're willing to do that, you are rewarded. It is interesting. You learn about New York at that time, which is quite different to how I perceived it to be. Um, but equally, it's one that you might fall asleep within, you know, reading a, a short amount of it. I thought it had good twists and turns. There were some interesting bits. But it just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't read it. So I think the average for the book club, for that book club was 5.5. Um, someone gave it an eight. Someone gave it a four. I was sort of in between. It, it's it's a clever book, um, but it's not an entertaining read. Um, so, yes, it wasn't all golden at Golden Hill. But going from a book that's quite hard to read to one that's very easy to read is Rachel's Holiday by Marianne Keyes. Now... Let's do the blurb on this. I have history with this book, I admit. OK, here's the blurb. Meet Rachel Walsh. She's been living it up in New York City, spending her nights talking her way into glamorous parties before heading home in the early hours to her adoring boyfriend, Luke. But her sensible older sister showing up and sending her off to actual rehab wasn't quite part of her plan. She's only agreed to her in... Well, uh, Sorry, she's only agreed to her incarceration because she's heard that rehab is wall-to-wall jacuzzis, spa treatments and celebrities going cold turkey. Plus, it's about time she had a holiday. Saying goodbye to fun and freedom will be hard and losing the man who might just be the love of her life will be even harder. But will hitting rock bottom help Rachel learn to love herself at last? OK, first sentence. They said I was a drug addict. I found that hard to come to terms with. I was a middle-class, convent-educated girl whose drug use was strictly recreational. And actually gave you two sentences then. Um, 
so we've got the brand new book coming out called Again, Rachel. And uh, hopefully I will have finished that to talk to you about next week. Um, I first read this book. I was living on my own and I decided that there was Easter coming up. I had nothing to do and I was going to go away on my own. And I booked this hotel in Palma in Mallorca. And it wasn't for one of these way holidays. It was a sort of cultural one. It was a hotel right near the sort of city centre. There was the cathedral. There was, oh, I just remember I remember having the loveliest of times. I just walked every day, lots, just soaked in the atmosphere, pretended I could speak Spanish. I couldn't. Drank a lot of black coffees, ate a lot of Spanish omelettes and just thought I was having a lovely time. And I remember reading this book. Now, that is, oh, gosh, it's at least 25 years ago, if not more. Yeah, that's how old I am. And so, sorry, I think my stomach's just rumbled then. Do apologise. I'm starving. Um, I remember this book very fondly because, yes, I can, I suppose with quite a few books, I can remember when I read it. But this, I can picture it. I can picture this square in the centre of Palma with me sitting outside. And, and it wasn't too hot. It was Easter. Um, and the hotel on Easter Sunday left out chocolate Easter eggs for everyone. I was very happy with indeed. I just remember it being a really special time. And so this book in my mind is very special. Um, and I think what uh, I saw reading it again and I listened to the audiobook again and the audiobook is brilliantly narrated. It's done with such life. It's great. Um, and I think I think I love Rachel. We're all addicted to something. We're all trying to hide what we're addicted to, whether it's chocolate or books or anything like that. And Rachel's had a lot to deal with um, in her life. And, and I, I just loved it. it. Made her very human. There was great humour in it. There was a lot more naughtiness than I remember. Is that something to do with getting old? I don't know. Maybe I'm just much more judgmental, but I don't remember all of that. Anyway, there's quite a bit. It's not an audio book to have on when you've got the kids in the car. That's what I learned. There was some very hurried turning off and putting the radio on at particular points. Um, I just enjoyed it. Yes, it's light. Yes, you get through it. But you find yourself smiling, laughing, hoping the best for her. Um urging her along. See, my stomach is making a huge noise now, isn't it? We're nearly done. Don't worry. I'm just going to keep cracking on till I eat something. It's, um, it's a lovely, light read. It's a nice change from some of the more serious stuff. And um, yeah, it's different to how I remembered it, but it's a, it's a jolly, lovely read. And I'm keen to catch up with Rachel and find out what else she's been up to next week. So that's it. That's your range of books. Let's go through them. We've had 1979, the wonderful 1979 by the wonderful Val McDermott. We've had the wonderful Book Love by Debbie, Debbie Tung. We've had the interesting and informative book, but what about that ending? American Dirt by uh, Janine Cummins. We've had Golden Hill by Francis Spufford. Golden if you've got a lot of time to read a book and really chew it over. And we've got uh, Rachel's Holiday by Marianne Keys. I'm going. My stomach is rumbling so much. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. A brilliant author, brilliant books. Just look after yourselves, please. <laughs>
<laughs> and uh, I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.